1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 4 through 11. Paul goes on and says, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love for a helmet, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Now, we're not going to stay on these verses here too, too long tonight because we're going to move into verses 12 through 22 in just a little bit. But there's definitely some meat here in this, time, this section that I don't want to skip over. The first thing I want you to hear, and the Lord wants us to understand from this passage, is this. We are not in darkness or of the darkness. Don't miss that. Go back to 1 Thessalonians 5. Look at verse 4. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. I think it would be a good reminder for all of us to, to understand or be reminded of the fact that we're different. We're in a world that doesn't believe or want to believe. We're in a world of darkness and we're in a world of evil and it's getting worse as the Bible said it would be. And there's a tendency for Christians to lose sight of the fact that even though things seem out of control around us, we're not of this. We have a God who lives within us who's greater than he who's in the world. We have a promised future that the world does not understand. We, we have a faith. We have an, an empowering of God within us. And so let me just kind of let a couple of scriptures kind of speak to this. Go to Colossians chapter 1 and look at verses 9 through 14. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 through 14. Paul says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. When you got saved, folks, you passed from death to life and you've been moved from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. When we live like the world and we fall into sin, as some of us still do, and the Bible says if we say we don't sin, we lie and the truth is not in us. But when we do that, we are actually, actually living a against our nature. You have a new, you're a new nature. You're a new creation. You have the ability now, because of Christ in you, to live in this world with joy and peace when everybody's scared and worried and freaking out. We actually have within us the, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. We can actually, as Paul's saying here, live in this world with fruit and evidence of our salvation and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness. When, unfortunately, most people in the world today are getting discouraged depressed, suicides are increasing, even with people of older age. Where I actually heard about a friend of mine's cousin, and this man was 62 years old who just took his life. 
there's a discouragement in this world. There, there's a depression in this world. There's a fear. There's a worry. There's anxiety. And for those of us who are in Christ, I think we need to be reminded of a biblical truth. We're not of the darkness. Why do we feel like, well, it's, it's encroaching. The darkness is getting worse. We shouldn't focus on the darkness. We should focus on who we are in Christ. Set your eyes on things above where Christ is seated. Who Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Where to do what? Fix our eyes on Jesus. Yes, it's crazy out there, but you know what? I'm not of this world. I'm of the kingdom of light. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verses 6 through 8. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. He said, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. The wrath of God's coming on who? We just read it there. The sons of disobedience. But we're not, that's not us. That's not us. And so I want to take a little bit of time to remind you of a couple of things that we've already seen in our study here in 1 Thessalonians. I'm going to do that in just a second. But let me just say this to you. So since we are different, and since we have knowledge that the world doesn't understand, let us live in this world with joy and peace, knowing the truth and sharing it in love. Go to Luke 21. Luke 21. And look at verses 34 through 36. Luke 21, 34 through 36, Jesus said this. He said, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and that the day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to what? Escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Did you catch that? He said, it's going to come as a surprise. The time of judgment and the wrath of God is going to catch them by surprise. But we're not in that group. We're not to be caught by surprise. Why? Because we're watching for His return. We're living in, in the joy and the peace of the Lord. We know the promises of God that He's going to come and take us from this place before in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, he makes a promise to the churches, not just to the church in Philadelphia, but to the churches. Hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Because of your patient endurance, I am going to keep you from the hour of trial which is coming upon the whole world. Folks, we should be encouraging each, each other with this good news. Things are going to get worse. But we are going to be okay. Does that mean we won't experience tribulation? No. In this world, we will have tribulation. But Jesus said what? Take heart. I have overcome the world. In this world, you're going to have trouble, but in me, you will have what? Let me ask you an honest question then. Is anybody asking you for the reason, for the hope that's laying within you? Is anybody noticing that you're living in the chaos of this world with a joy and a peace? Or are they seeing that you look like everybody else and you're just joining in with the... the pity party with everybody else in the world about how bad things are, and this didn't happen, and that didn't happen, and I thought this was going to happen, but it didn't happen, and I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills, and, and, all, and all of a sudden, we start sounding like the rest of the world, even though we're not like the rest of the world. It's time we understood this truth. Either you're a child of the king, 
Oh, you're not. You're not in darkness. You're light in the Lord. Walk like that. Well, Jim, I don't really feel it. Well, see, that's the difference between sight and faith. The the, the Bible doesn't say you're going to feel it. Faith happens before feeling. But I've come to realize that when we walk in faith, feeling follows faith. So I want to remind you today, and I want to encourage you with these words. Things are going to get worse, but we're going to be all right. Actually, if you look back, if you walked with the Lord for any length of time, you can look back over your life at episode upon episode and story upon story where you didn't know how you were going to make it. And the same God that walked you through that one will walk you through this one. You ever notice that when God had him go through the Red Sea or he had him go across the Jordan River, he had him make memorials? Why would God have them make memorials? You know why? Because we forget. We forget. And we need to be reminded and make reminders. And so the whole count your many blessings song that many of us grew up with, it probably wouldn't do us any, it probably would do us some good. If we took some time maybe tonight or tomorrow and sat down and sat there and just thought about all that God has brought you through. The episodes, the the scares, the health situations, the financial situations, all the different things, relational issues, and then wrote down how God brought you through it. And that same God that brought you through those is going to bring you through this one. Folks, this world needs to see Jesus, right? They don't need to see us talk about Jesus. They need to see Jesus. And how are they going to see, really, how they going to see the real Jesus? They're going to see joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness. The evidence that we're not of the kingdom of darkness, but the kingdom of light. And the Bible actually says that as we see the day approaching, we're supposed to do what? Well, if you don't know, go to Hebrews chapter 10. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. <laughs> Something all the more. Well, that's part of, the, that's part of it. I want you to notice some words in here you might have missed. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verses 19 through 25. He's just, well, let's just start in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but what is that next word? Encouraging one another And all the more as you see the day drawing near. We need to encourage one another right now. And what are we encouraging each other with? We're going to encourage each other with the fact that the same God who kept all of his promises in the past will keep his promises for the future. I meditated on this recently, and I shared this with some of the guys I was speaking to at lunch today. Would you not agree that God fulfilled all the promises that he said he would do in the bringing of Jesus to, as, the, as the Messiah to the earth the first time? Do you know that if you traced all the promises back, you can go all the way back to thousands of years before Jesus came, back in Genesis chapter 3? And then there was a little more promise here, and a little more promise here, a little bit more about Abraham and about David and Bethlehem and all these things. 
Do you ever, did you ever sit and think about the fact, since we're on this side of Jesus' coming the first time, that it was thousands of years between the promises and when the fulfillment actually happened? And right now, some of us are a little tired. Because the Bible also said this same Jesus who came is going to come back. Did it? Does it not? This same Jesus that came in the first time is going to come back. But you know what? It's been 2,000 years, Jim. Yeah, but the Old Testament saints, they had to wait for 2,000 years too, didn't they? Actually more. You have need of endurance. You need encouragement at this time. Oh, and go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at verse 18. We've already looked at in our study, verses 13 through 18, when he talks about the rapture. But look at verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. What has he just said that we're supposed to encourage each other with? Jesus is coming back, and he's going to gather his church, and those of us who are alive are going to be caught up and go be with him. Those who have already gone to be with him, and they're going to come, and their body's going to come out of the ground, and we're all going to go be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. I got some good news for you. Things are going to get worse. But Jesus is going to come and take us. Oh, you're just an escapist, Jim. You Christians that believe in the pre-tribulation and rapture, you just, you're just trying to escape the things in the world. No, the Bible actually says over and over that there is a time that is coming on the earth. It's a time of wrath and judgment that is reserved, as we've already seen, for the wicked. Not for us. He has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation. Jesus himself in Luke 21, as we just said, said this. He said, listen, he said that day is going to come and catch the world by surprise, but it shouldn't catch you. And you should be ready and living in such a way that you can escape that time and stand before the Lord. Go to 1 Thessalonians 5, look at verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Well, what's the therefore, therefore? The therefore is tied to something. Well, look at verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Folks, I can't encourage you if you're going to go through the tribulation. You say, well, well, I believe that we'll go through the tribulation, but he'll spare us. Read the book of Revelation. The people that are believers in the tribulation period aren't getting spared. They're being put to death. They're being beheaded. They're being killed for their faith. There's tribulation saints that are going to go through that. But for those of us who are in the church, that's not for us. And actually, we should be sharing the gospel in hopes that those of us or those family and friends that we have here who haven't trusted Christ don't have to go through the tribulation period. But let me encourage you with something. He's not destined us for wrath, but to receive salvation. So let's go back to verse 4 again. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 4. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you're all children of light, children of the day. We're not of the night or the darkness. So let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Listen, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet... The hope, that's the surety, of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Folks, I want to, as we start to move into the next section of chapter 5 here in verses 12 through 22, I want to remind you of this. 
Jesus is going to come get us. When? Don't know. But it could be at any moment. The Bible teaches the imminence and to be ready at any moment. But it also teaches us to be patient because he gets to determine the time of it and his slowness as it seems to some is so that others would come to repentance. But let me tell you this, just like the Old Testament saints were rewarded for their faith and they saw the coming Messiah, even whether they saw it while they were alive on the earth or whether or not they saw it like Abraham did. Remember Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And that's when they said, wait a minute, you're not even 50 years old. You've seen Abraham? Of course, listen to this. Jesus is saying, Abraham is alive and he saw this day. He's watching. Moses and Elijah appear on the Mount of Transfiguration talking with Jesus about the things that are going to take place. Why? Because they were Old Testament people that believed in the promise of God and the coming Messiah. And they actually got to be a part of what he was doing when he came to the earth. Do you know that we're going to get to be a part of it too? We're going to come with him if we go to be with the Lord between now and the rapture. And when the rapture happens, we're going to come with him. If we're alive at that time, we'll go be with him. But then when he comes again to the earth, he ain't coming by himself. He's going to be coming and all the saints are going to be coming with him. Old Testament saints, church age saints, tribulation saints are going to be coming and ruling and reigning with Jesus on the earth. Jesus is coming back. We need endurance. And you know how we get endurance? Well, there's lots of ways, and one of the endurances is, the Bible talks about is believing the Word of God. What's ever been written is for our endurance and our encouragement, but also because God has challenged us to encourage each other. Have you ever noticed that when you're playing in a sport and you're getting tired, maybe you're running a race or whatever, if there's people on the sidelines who are actually cheering you on, it does something. Like, I don't want to quit now. I was thinking about quitting, but all these people are yelling my name. Finish, finish. I encourage you the same way. And by the way, I sound like I'm a man. I'm full of faith, and I never get depressed, and I never get worried. Ask my family. I still do. But you know what? That's when they can come alongside of me. And my wife a lot of times say, I remember a guy used to say this, and she'll quote one of my sermons. We need each other. And so let's encourage each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Why? Because the closer it gets to the day approaching, the harder it's going to be to have endurance. We need each other. Go back to 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 through 22. Now, as I'm about to read this, I want you to notice it's coming like rapid fire. But don't, we're going to take the rest of tonight and all of next time we get together to really look at this. Because there's too much here. Don't think because he writes quickly that it's simple. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one pays anyone or repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.
Now, as in many of Paul's letters, Paul here now gives a rapid-fire set of instructions to the church in Thessalonica as he's wrapping up his letter. But there's a lot here, even though his words are short and succinct. So what we're going to do is we're going to just going to go verse by verse here a little bit and pull some things out. Let's look at verses 12 and 13. He says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Paul tells them to respect those who are what in the Lord? Over them. Now, that's be honest with you. That's something we don't like. When he said that there's someone over us in the Lord, that means another human has authority over us. That means if someone's over us, we are what? Under them. The church today has tried to make it where everybody has an equal say. That's not what the Bible teaches. There's lots of reasons why the Bible teaches God's designed authority and hierarchy, if you will, of authority in churches. And one of the main reasons is the fact that not everybody is spiritually mature enough to make decisions. But everybody has the spirit. That's true. But let me ask you this question. Doesn't the Bible also say that in the last days there'll be many in our churches that aren't even saved? And it's not for us to determine who's saved and who's not? Then why would we give everybody an equal vote when we seek the will of God if we know that in our membership are there going to be those who aren't even saved? And just because we're saved doesn't mean you're walking in the spirit. So God has set up a, a, a way in which there would be those who have proven themselves to be mature, to be spiritual, over time to have proven to be godly, and they've been given the role of elder, overseer, pastor, authority. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. Look at verse 17. Hebrews 13, verse 17. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Again, obey your leaders, submit to them. There are people that have responsibility of keeping watch over your souls. Like I just said, the ones in, uh, who are over us in the church and who lead are the elders, pastors, overseers. Those terms, by the way, are interchangeable. Go to 1 Peter 5. Let me show you what I mean. In 1 Peter chapter 5, look at verses 1 through 5. Peter says, in 1 Peter 5, verse 1, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Shepherd, that's the word pastor, shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight. There's overseeing. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain. Don't be in it for the money, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Peter, writing to the leaders in the church there, he, said, he uses this term, three different terms that all mean the same thing. I write to you elders who are pastoring God's flock and exercising oversight. The term pastor, overseer, elder, they're interchangeable. Those are the ones who have been given the responsibility to be the spiritual authority in the church. Go to 1 Timothy 3. Look at verses 1 through 7. 
In 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, it says this, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, and that actually in the Greek means a one-woman man, proven faithful to the one they're married to. Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be thought well of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. There's too much here for me to break it all down, but you see really clearly that there is a, a role or an office of overseer or elder, pastor, spiritual authority in the church, and actually... There are some serious qualifications for anybody that wants to serve in this capacity. They need to be above reproach in four areas. Not a recent convert being one. Their public reputation with outsiders being another. Their home life another one. And their sexual purity being another. And so the Bible's really clear that there are those who have been given this authority. And Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12, he says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you, and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. In other words, we're to respect those who have been given that role of authority over us in the church because of the role that God has given them. I actually was teaching years ago. We're talking maybe 15 years ago now. I was teaching at a church in New Orleans on this subject. And unfortunately, a lot of the churches I go to, they don't want elders. They don't want anybody in authority. They want everybody to have an equal vote and they're congregationally governed, governed. But as I was teaching on this, afterwards a man came up to me and met me in the foyer of the church and he said this. He goes, respect is earned. I said, you need to have a seat. He goes, why? I go, because it's obvious you didn't hear the sermon and I got to preach it again. Does the passage we looked at tonight, or this morning, does it say that we're to respect them once they earn our respect? Or do we respect them because of the role that God has given? But Jim, what if they're bad guys? Well, let me say this to you. The Bible actually talks about that. I'm going to show you a couple of places, but let me say this to you. As I had one man say, well, you know, the congregational government model is kind of flawed. And, you know, but the, the elder leadership model, that, there's some flaws in that as well. And I told this man this. I said, listen, I would rather see the church obey God's design and there be flaws, then man come up with their own and there be flaws. Go to James chapter 3. Look at verse 1. James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Do you understand that those of us who have been given this role of authority as a leader in the church, a spiritual authority, actually are going to be held in stricter accountability before God than you will be? Yes, he deals with the leaders in the church. That's why the Pharisees and the religious leaders in Jerusalem and Israel are going to be and have been judged even more strictly. 
blind leaders of the blind. Go to 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5, look at verses 17 through 22. In 1 Timothy 5, starting in verse 17, the scripture says this. It says, let the elders who rule well be, wor be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not even admit a charge against an elder, except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, this is meaning elders, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest of may stand in fear. All right? It says here, listen. He says, look, those who have been given this responsibility that are over you are be worthy of double honor, especially those whose role is preaching and teaching. And then he actually says, I want you to pay them well. Make sure they're taken care of financially. Now, I'm dealing with a church right now. I'm not going to say where because some of those people may be listening right now. But the church is voting on the pastor's raises or not. They haven't had a raise in a while. And unfortunately, when I deal a lot of churches, the personnel or the stewardship teams get together and try to figure out, well, what's the average going rate right now? And I, I wrote this one pastor and said, I wish... There is some way I could go to all the churches and show them scripturally how God will bless the churches that bless their pastors. I've seen it. I know it. When a church blesses their pastors, God blesses those churches. When they try to nickel and dime, they miss out. But also it's because there really isn't a respect for that role and that position. They see that, well, I have my job and I make so much. You still don't understand this role of being a leader in the church, especially in these last days. Folks, that's not something that anybody should just jump into. It's not an easy thing. You don't think that Satan isn't going after the pastors even more than he is the rest of the church? If you're going bowling and you want to knock them all down, you don't aim for the 10 pin. You aim for the head. And those of us who are in this responsibility, we are under attack in many ways. And unfortunately, many times Satan is allowed to use the church to attack. Don't be one of those people. If there is stuff that needs to be done biblically, as we just read in 1 Timothy 5, it'll be evident and more than one person will notice it. But if you've got a pet peeve, don't bring a charge against an elder. You leave it alone. Why? Because as you're going to see in just a little bit, as we go on either tonight or next time we get together, Who's going to deal with the ones who are evil? Who's going to repay? God. God. We're to respect them because they've been given a very important role in the church, and God will and does hold them in higher accountability. Now go back to verse 14, though. He's just said, we ask you to respect those, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And that's another whole message for another time, and I don't have time to get into that. One of the ways you can really bless your pastors is to stop fighting with each other. <clears throat> pastors spend too much time putting out fires. But look at verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Now, if I were to say to you, whose job is it to uh, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with everybody, you all would say it's the elder's job. It's everybody's. 
According to this passage, it's everybody's. The same term, brothers, who are to respect those who are over you in the Lord. He then writes to those same people and says, oh, by the way, you guys need to come alongside of each other. I don't have time to go down this road, but if you've ever read my book, Principles of a God-Centered Church, you'll know that God designed the church to do the work of the ministry, not the pastors. The pastors are supposed to be equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. But over the years, we've expected the pastors to do the work of the ministry. Someone need to be saved? Call the pastor. Someone sick? How come the pastor didn't go visit him? Someone in the nursing home? The pastor needed to come by. And unfortunately, the church has expected the pastors to go do the work of the ministry and helping the body. When the Bible says in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, the body builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And Paul says, don't just respect those who are over you, who have been given authority, who have the role of teaching and preaching and leading. But at the same time, here's how you help them. You don't just pray for them. You don't just respect what they say. You also Help each other in their walks with the Lord. Go to Ephesians, sorry, Galatians 6. We just talked about Ephesians 4. Go to Galatians 6. Look at verses 1 through 5. Brothers. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Now stop real quick there. Look closely at what it says. Brothers, if anyone's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, most of the people would say, well, Jim, the spiritual ones, those are the elders, those are the pastors, those are the teachers. And if that's your attitude, you totally still don't get it. What makes you think that the pastor is more spiritual than you? He's just been given a role. And the Bible's real clear that it's to be men. It's another old message for another time. But at the same time, the Bible actually says that those of us who are brothers, who are in among the Lord, if we see a brother or sister caught in a transgression, we're to examine ourselves, make sure that our, our, our motives are pure. We're not doing it and make ourselves better by pointing out the sin you're doing, so I don't want to deal with the sin in my life. But after I've examined myself, and I know what it's like to walk with the Lord, and I'm humble enough to do it, and my desire is to help you, I go to you quietly and help you. I don't go tell the pastor Pastor, I'm only telling you this so you can pray. But Susie's got a real problem. No, Matthew 18 says, you got a problem between you and your brother? You go see your brother. And if they don't listen because you went there for the purpose of restoration and reconciliation and they don't listen, bring somebody else. But it doesn't say the church leadership yet. It's the third step. If they don't listen to that, that group, then you bring them before the church. It's interesting we would love the pastors to have authority in the areas we don't want to deal with, which is a lot of the stuff we've been told to deal with. But we don't want them to have authority in the things we'd like to have a say on, which are the things God's given them that responsibility. It's, a, it's an interesting mix working with people, isn't it? But at the same time, this is God's design, and it's a family. And your family works best when everyone in the family understands their role. One of the things that has helped with our kids, who I'm still humbled that they come every week on their own, 
Might be because we buy dinner at Wendy's on the way here, but it doesn't matter. I've got kids that want to be here, and that's worth money to me. But listen to what I'm saying. When they were little, even though their flesh didn't want mom and dad to be in charge, they were taught from a beginning that this is God's design. And in time, you're going to become parents of your own, and we want you to learn how to point them to God and his design and his word. And that's why it's worked. It's not because I said so. It's because God said so. We have kids that actually care what God thinks, not what mom and dad think. In the same way, it's time we in the church got back to what God says about governance, if you will, and authority in the church. Go to verse 15, though. In verse 15, Paul says this. He says, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Paul says, don't repay evil for evil, but always seek to do good. Now, we're going to spend a little time here. We're to always seek to do good. We think we're doing good by not repaying evil for evil. Actually, the Bible teaches us that if we have a person that we would love to repay evil for evil, we're not to just, "Mm, I'm going to bite my upper lip and not do anything. We're actually to seek how we can bless them. Go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Look at verses 9 through 21. Again, near the end of this letter that Paul wrote, not as far or close to the end as the one we're going at in Thessalonians, but Paul's doing it again. Look at Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Here Jesus is saying, and we're just going to pull out this main section here about not repaying evil for evil, but seeking to do good. How did he says this? First off, he said, look, vengeance is mine, God says. I will deal with those who need to be dealt with. You leave that to me. But in the meantime, don't just take your hands off it and say, man, I hope God gets you tomorrow. But actually seek to bless them. Surprise them even by the fact that you're not retaliating, but you're actually blessing them. And it reminded me of something Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 5. Go to Matthew 5, verses 38 through 42. Now, this will be a real test on whether or not the Spirit's in control in your life or your flesh is in control in your life. I'm just going to give you a little warning. Some of you might not have seen this passage in a long time. Matthew chapter 5, look at verses 38 through 42. Matthew 5, 38. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, 
an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and don't refuse the one who would borrow from you. Jim, nobody lives like that. Well, that's the problem. Because we live nowadays, and especially even among Christians, in which we have this attitude of, I have my rights. And if I just let them go ahead and do that, then they'll do it to somebody else. And I need to put a stop to it. And something needs to be done. Because if we don't deal with it, oh, do you want to finish and say that nothing will be done? Or do you believe the word of God that God says he's taking care of that and he'll deal with it in time and he's the righteous judge and he knows their hearts more than you do. And you're supposed to just humble yourself and say, Lord, you're my protection. You're my provision. And if I lose money in this process, I don't care because you're going to take care of me. Yes, sir. Going back to the, uh, uh, for in doing so you will heap burning coals upon their head. That doesn't sound like you're really praying for them. <laughs> but actually, but if you're doing it to heap burning coals on their head, your attitude's in the wrong place. But he's saying this, when you do good for evil, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have an effect on them. It's going to work on them. Because you ever notice somebody get madder at you the, the nicer you were? Because they want you to fight back. And when you don't, they don't know what to do. And so if you're doing it in order to put burning coals on their head, you're doing it to repay evil. But if you just love them, God says, don't worry, it's going to work on them. It's going to get in that head. It's going it's to mess with them. And God's going God's to use it. But that's a great point. Now, also, at the same time, there's something here in Matthew 5 where Jesus says, look, someone slapped you on the cheek, give them the other one. Someone sued you for, their, your, for your tunic, give them your coat as well. Go with me to Galatians, sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. There's something here that I, I really felt like God wanted me to bring out, and we'll just kind of let the Spirit speak and let the Lord talk to us wherever we are. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, listen to what Paul says here to the church in Corinth. By the way, remember how we've already read tonight, be at peace among yourselves? Listen to what was going on in the church in Corinth. How often have we heard people say, man, I wish we'd go back to the early days of the church. Read your Bibles. They were just as messed up as we are. 1 Corinthians 6, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we're to judge angels one day? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So, if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute, dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. What a witness is that, pretty much Paul is saying. But listen to what he says next. Don't miss this. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a loss, a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Look at what Paul said. There are going to be times that you feel like you've been done wrong by the church. Maybe by someone in the church or even the leadership of the church. 
And if your desire is, I want a saying, and I want a hearing, and I want to be able to state my case, and I want to prove that these people did me wrong, your desire is to be proved right is more important than the division of the body. And I've dealt with that a bunch, unfortunately. A lot of churches I've seen have to deal with things like this. And instead of just saying, you know what, I really feel like I was wronged, but I am more interested in the unity of the body than I am being proved right. But Jim, it was a lot of money. It's really easy for you to talk, but you don't know how much money I am about to lose. Is it more than God can handle? Well, do we really, really understand that we have passed from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light? Do we really, really understand that we are children of the king? That he will withhold no good thing? I love how when David, his son Absalom, has tried to become king now, and he's chasing David out, and as David is leaving, as he's leaving the city in shame, there's this man who stands there and throws rocks at him and curses him, and Joab says, do you want me to go cut his head off? And David humbly says, listen, I don't know if he's doing it on his own or if he's doing it because God told him to. And if God told him to curse me, I'd be telling him to do something that God told, tell him not to do something God told him to do. And if he's doing it on his own, God will deal with him. Think of the humility, the meekness. By the way, that's meekness. Meekness is power withheld, under control. He humbled himself, even though he was the king, and as someone, a dog, as Joab called him, cursed him and threw rocks at him, he said, my eyes are on the Lord. And then when he came back into power, after Absalom was put to death, when he came back into power, that guy came running and fell on his face and said, please don't kill me. And David said, that's not my decision. And he let him go and forgave him. Let me ask you a question. Is God really your father? Does he have everything in disposal to take care of you? And if he chooses to allow some of these attacks to come through, does he have a good reason and a purpose that we may not understand at the time? When you get a, a letter from your landlord that you don't understand, does God not have the ability to take care of it? Does God not have the power to do something in it? Let me encourage you. I don't know how he's going to do it, but he said he will. And it's time that we remind each other and spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Because things are going to get worse. But God's still in control. And he'll take care of us. As we wrap up tonight and the time we have left, look at verses 16 through 19. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 19. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. I'm going to read it to you again. This is where we're going to wrap up. This kind of is tying together everything we've just been looking at tonight. He says this again. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Don't quench the Spirit. 
We're going to wrap up tonight by looking at this section. But let's be honest. Think about how crazy this sounds in the day in which we live right now. Rejoice always. Pray without stopping. Give thanks in all your circumstances. Don't quench the spirit. Is, who's the one who actually leads us and guides us in our daily lives? The Holy Spirit. And are not his purposes good? Has he promised that everything will be good? No. He said he'll cause all things to work for good in time. He's not said everything will be good. He said everything will work for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But actually, that's why we studied when we look at James, we're to count it joy when we face trials of various kinds. Because these trials, God's got a reason for it and a purpose. And it's going to have a full effect. And one day you're going to look back and say, one of those memorial stones, how God took care of us. As you look back, there's probably already so many. In the same way, that's why we need to rejoice always. Jim, I don't feel like it. Well, that's why he says pray without ceasing. Jim, doesn't it all boil down to trusting God? It all boils down to trusting God. Yes, it does, Bill. Go, go to Philippians chapter 4. I know that sounds like I've been quoting this, and we kind of have been. Philippians chapter 4. Look at verses 2 through 9. Philippians 4, verses 2 through 9. And I put verse 2 in here on purpose because it ties to our context. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Sounds like there are a couple of ladies that had a little spat in that church. Oh, to go back to the early church. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, in case you missed it, I'm going to say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, your gentleness be known to everyone. Why? The Lord is at hand. He's not just here. He's at the door of his return. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Stop for a second. We've heard this passage. Don't be anxious about anything. And we think that we're never to be anxious. That's not what the passage is saying. Because if I'm never anxious, I'm never going to ask God for a request. Do you see what I'm saying? There's going to be times where the anxiety will come. But when it says don't be anxious about anything, he's saying don't stay there. But when a request comes and a need comes and something has caused me to be worried or anxious or fearful, that's in those instances that I'm to continually be reminded of who I am in Christ what he's promised, go to him. And, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Keep reading. Let your request be made known to God with thanksgiving. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, turn off the TV, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Why are we spending so much time telling everybody about the latest bad news that's out there? Did you hear about this and what happened? The Bible says we're to be people who are focused on the Lord. We're not to be ignorant of what's going on in the world, but it's just not our focus. That stuff happens. It's going to keep happening. But you know what? We're going to be all right. 
Well, how do you know? Well, because he said so. Because he said so. Rejoice always, folks. Let your gentleness be known to all. Why? Because the Lord's at hand. Well, how's this going to work out? I don't know. But he does. When's it going to be fixed? Couldn't tell you. But he's got it on his schedule and his calendar, and he's got it. Does it mean I sit back and do nothing? No, the Bible says I'm to pray. I'm to actually be doing my research and doing my, my, my work that he asked for me to do. But I leave the results to God. He's going to take care of it, and he's going to walk me through this journey. I'm on a treasure hunt right now to find out what his answer is to this problem, the latest one. And I'm on a treasure hunt. But he's going to do, we're going to look back if Jesus tarries, and we're going to say, look at what he did. And it's going to be one of those many other things we can add to our list of how we can thank God for everything that he's brought us through. Oh, have I been through stuff? Have Becky and I been through things in our life that we wouldn't want to go through again? Yes. I think 2017's one. Non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and chemo and radiation. I have no desire to go through that again, but I thank God for it. Because he did a work in me and through me in that time that could not have been done in any other way. I grew in my walk with the Lord during that time in ways that I didn't know I needed to. But he showed me a lot about myself. And he lovingly let me go through it, even though it wasn't a lot of fun. And we weren't sure how it was all going to play out. Go to Ephesians 5. Look at verses 17 through 21. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be being filled, in the Greek that's what it means, be being filled with the Spirit. In other words, don't get your filling from the alcohol or the control from the alcohol. Be under the control from your drinking of the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always. Boy, we keep hearing that a lot. Becky has in our kitchen a little thing that says, it's not happy people that are thankful, it's thankful people that are happy. And it's cluttering the counter. I'm kidding. Just kidding. Don't, don't give me that. Be thankful. Oh, she just told me to be thankful. See, she does it all the time. She keeps reminding me of stuff I just said. And listen, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Again, what, are, what is the will of God? That we be walking in the Spirit. Be being filled with the Spirit, that we're rejoicing, we're thankful, we're praying, we're talking with the Lord. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had the king of the world at that time standing before him saying, Is your God able to rescue you from this fire? And their answer was calmly, Yes, he's able. Whether he will or not, we don't know. But you know what? We ain't looking at you, Neb. We're looking at him. That's what the world needs to see right now. People who are truly trusting in the Lord, who are generous with their money, who don't worry about taking care of themselves and making sure they're going to be covered, who believe that God will take care of them and provide all of their needs, and they trust Him in the way that He asked them to. Go to Ephesians 4. Look at verses 29 through 32. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Did you catch that? 
Keep reading. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I don't know if you caught this yet or not, but all this stuff we've been looking at in verses 12 through 22 is actually all tied to what Paul's been saying. Respect those who are over you. Encourage each other. Be at peace with each other. Don't repay evil for evil. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Stop quenching the spirit. He's there. He wants to be in control. But when you worry and freak and getting, getting, try to fix it and you spend your time getting worse and worse and more depressed, you actually start spouting off negativity. And you know what negativity is? Well, the Bible here calls it corrupting talk. We always thought that that was like a dirty joke or something. But actually, if I walk around church grumbling, I'm actually corrupting. I'm sowing seeds of discontent. I'm a murmurer. I'm a gossiper. I'm a backbiter. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful. Building up, as it says here, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Folks, none of us are there yet perfectly. But my prayer is that we can allow, I want you to go to the Lord, and if he's shown you some things here this, this week, that you say, Lord, do that. You said you would. You said that you would, and I ask you to do it, and I believe that you're gonna. Lord, I wanna walk around in the midst of this chaos so trusting you that people think I'm crazy. My wife, for years, has said, you know, you're a little nuts. And the older I get, the more nuts I get. But you know what I always tell her? The people in the insane asylum are happy. I don't care if the world thinks I'm insane. My joy is not because I'm insane. My joy is not because I don't know what's going on. My joy is because I see things the world doesn't not only see, they don't understand. And because of that, even though this outward me is wasting away, inwardly, I'm being renewed day by day. And God is producing in me and one day for me an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I hope it splashes on you if you run into me a little bit. And I hope some of yours splashes on me because there'll be days I could use a recharge as well. And we need each other. I love you. Have a great Christmas. Happy New Year, and we'll see you on the 9th of January. Thanks for coming.